Great job, guys. You know, it brings Jesus a whole lot of glory when kids sing about him and to him. You know, Jesus elevated children and believed that, that they had mysteries and things about the faith that we as adults have a lot to learn from. And, um, and so I'm thankful for the kiddos. Let's give them another hand as they walk out. So proud of them. Love that. So if you have your copy of God's Word, turn with me to the book of John this morning. We're going to be looking at John chapter 19 and considering only three, this, three verses this morning. And some of you are like, hallelujah, we're going to be able to beat the Methodists to lunch. Right? That's basically what uh, some of you guys are saying by, when you hear that. And I, and I totally get that. We're going to be uh, continuing our series in the last seven sayings or words from Jesus from the cross. So the things that, that were of utmost priority that Jesus saves to say while he is hanging from the cross during crucifixion. The first of which we looked at a, a couple of weeks ago is, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. All right, they, they looked at, we looked at Jesus' heart for his enemies, the very people that were crucifying him. And he's praying for them in that moment uh, that, that they would be forgiven and that they would ultimately see him as uh, their savior and a need for that. Then last week, we looked at the promise of the, the criminal that was on one side of Jesus that asked Jesus, would you remember me today when you're in paradise? Would you remember me when you go into your kingdom? And Jesus says something marvelous and amazing to him, saying that today you will be with me in paradise, promising that this criminal that that because he had trusted and cried out in need and in faith that Jesus would save him. And in that day, that Jesus would give him more than he could have ever asked for. Because that's what Jesus does when we come to him in repentance and faith. Is that he gives us more than we could ever ask or imagine. Because Jesus loves us. Because God loves us. As we look today, we're going to transition to... Uh, just a moment later, as, the, as people still surrounded him at the cross, as passerbyers were still kind of agging him on and mocking him, as the religious leaders were still scoffing at him, as the Roman soldiers were still dividing his garments, trying to get anything they could out of him, in this moment, Jesus looks down and sets his gaze upon his mother, and upon John. And there's four people that the scripture tells us that are surrounding the cross that are no longer just his enemies, but a few have come before him that are his friends. And so let's look at John chapter 19, beginning in verse 25. And when you get there, say word. But standing, and I'm going to, I'll go back for just a second. So the soldiers did these things, meaning dividing the garments, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother, the disciple whom he loved, standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to his disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, 
the disciple took her to his own home. Does anybody else struggle with having a, a one-track mind? When, when you kind of get focused on something, it's, it's difficult or it actually kind of draws you away. If you start trying to focus on too many different things at once, it really just inhibits your ability to process and do anything well. Yeah, that, that is definitely me. Maybe you guys are superstars. But something that I, I learned this week is that our brain actually does not have the activity, the ability to perform multiple tasks at once. And in moments when we kind of think that we're multitasking, what we're actually doing is quickly moving from task to task. And I do that a lot when I end up cleaning the house, right? I'm like, okay, I start dusting here. I'm like, oh, no. I've got to vacuum this really quick. And then I'll go vacuum this real quick. Or then I'm like, oh, those dishes are nagging me. I really need to do those dishes. And then I'll just go and do those dishes. Like that kind of happens in, in our lives and our minds. The people that are in school, you start thinking about doing this one assignment. And then a text message dings. And you're like, mm, I really would rather answer my friend or look at Instagram. So I'm just going to go do that for a couple of minutes. And we think we're multitasking when, in fact, we're just jumping from one task to another because we only have a finite ability to do so many things at once. And I think actually the same is true with us emotionally. How many of you just kind of get to the point after you've poured out for so long uh, that you're just like, I'm out. I've got nothing left within me. Yeah, you're focused on one thing for so long that you're just like, I've got nothing left for you. Sometimes you come home from work and you're just like, I feel poured out. And then your family is like, hey, I'm here. Love me. Right? Your kids are like, hey, remember me? And you're just like, ooh, I got to gather, <coughs> excuse me, I got to gather my thoughts. And it just is difficult, isn't it? I'm amazed at Jesus. When we come to, to this passage of scripture, when he is suffering and there's great difficulty in his life, Jesus is not just turning inwardly like most of us do. If there's difficult and suffering or it's been a long day or something like that, most of the time I start kind of turning inward emotionally and I'm like, I've got nothing else to give. But Jesus is being poured out and yet he has this time where he transitions from his loving his enemies and praying for them and inviting this criminal essentially into his kingdom and promising him that he would be with his kingdom to his mother and his disciples. It amazes me that even in this moment, Jesus is focused on others' well-being rather than himself. The most selfless type of love that we can ever find is found at the cross and through Jesus Christ. And here's what we learn about him as we look at this text. That we've, we've seen Jesus' love for his enemies, but Jesus isn't like us in that he only has the ability to, to love a minute amount to everyone. Here's what we find, that Jesus loves and attentively cares, not only for his enemies, which we've seen, but Jesus loves and attentively cares for his own, his family. And I'm not just speaking about the nuclear family here. In fact, I'm primarily speaking about his new family that he is beginning 
called the church, his body. So Jesus loves and attentively cares and is able to, not just the people that are against him as he draws them to himself, but he loves and attentively cares for us, his church, his body, his family. And that means a great deal to us. So let's look again at verses 25 and 26 as we kind of get this thing started. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Now this seems just kind of straightforward, but I think it has a great spiritual meaning, and it's, it's this. As we look at Jesus' love and attentive care, the first truth that we see is this, that Jesus knows our needs and lovingly provides for his own. Jesus knows what our needs are in the moment that we are in, and he lovingly provides for us what we need. If you are in here and a part of the body of Christ, this is the kind of careful attention that your shepherd pays to you. That he knows in whatever moment that it is, he knows exactly what you need and lovingly cares for you. By this point, as I had mentioned, there a few people had, had come around the cross that were no longer enemies, but were his family and friends. And so it says four people that were there, Mary, Jesus's mother, Mary's sister, who we probably, uh, we believe is the mother of James and John, the, the sons of thunder. And so they, though, that's why um, that their mom comes to Jesus and be like, hey, can can they be right or left and pretty high up in your kingdom is because they were cousins. It's like, hey, why don't you, you know, throw them a bone since they're cousins? And Jesus says, you have no idea what you're asking for. But she's there, and then Mary Magdalene and another woman, and then, uh, and then there was John. And John's writing this book, and how does he describe himself? I love this. The disciple whom Jesus loved. <laughs> That's my favorite description. That's how you guys need to start addressing like Mother's Day cards and that kind of stuff. The child in which you loved, right? The one that's your favorite, love mom. You know, like that's, that's absolutely how we're gonna start doing those types of things. But he says like there's these four people now surrounding Jesus and Jesus's mother was there. Can you imagine this? A lot of you are, are moms in the room and Mary was having to endure the absolute worst possible scenario. The, the thing that parents fear more than anything else, watching their son die, watching her son die in front of her, being pierced and beaten and scourged and lifted up, barely breathing. I, I cannot fathom but empathize with her for a moment and think about that. It's every parent's worst nightmare, but in such a broken world, unfortunately, these types of things happen, and it happened to the mother of Jesus, and not only did it happen to her, at the very beginning of, of kind of Jesus's, not even, uh, just barely birth, when they went to the temple back in the very beginning of Luke, do you remember the prophecy that was made to Mary? 
by a man named Simeon. In Luke chapter 2, it, it says that, um, that Mary, you will have to endure, the, endure this sword that is going to pierce your heart. And it was at this time, in this moment, that Mary is witnessing this and seeing this. That Mary's heart is being pierced to a level that is almost unfathomable to us. But Jesus kind of turns to her and acknowledges her as her son. And in those final moments, gives her the gift of some measure of comfort. He says something curious, doesn't he? From the cross, he says, woman, behold your son. And he's not speaking about himself. First, let's kind of get this out of the way. Why does he call her woman? If you say that in the 21st century, you're getting a look, friends. You don't say that. Like, so what does Jesus actually mean in, in this first century? Um, this was actually something that was highly respected. It was a respectable way in that time to speak to women. In fact, some of the translations call, even write it dear woman or something that feels a little more palatable to us. Jesus was truly looking at her and elevating her and showing his care for her by saying woman. But he, he doesn't call her his mother. He, he doesn't call her his mother, which is fascinating, right? Why wouldn't Jesus here call, him, call her his mother? And acknowledge that. Similarly to John chapter 2, at, at Jesus' first miracle, basically he consummates his ministry with changing the water into what? Into wine, right? At the wedding of Cana of Galilee, he changes this. And there, Mary had come and made this request of Jesus. And Jesus says essentially the very same thing, beginning with the very same tone. Woman. Again, in a loving way. What, I, in my opinion, Jesus is doing here is he's helping us separate the roles that Mary had in Jesus' life. At this moment, he was saying, right now, I am, yes, I am your son, but more than that, I am your savior. And I'm the one providing for you as your savior. And so it, it takes away some of the, the veneration that certain traditions have of Mary. That's one of the great reasons that, uh, in many respects, the New Testament really downplays Mary. It doesn't allow us to, to worship her or go to her because they, they make a small detail of her. Jesus is saying, look to me. I am your provider and your provision." Even as he was dying, bearing the wrath of God, taking his sin, our sin upon his shoulders, Jesus selflessly cared for those he loved. He knew what she would need. In that time, a woman would need protection and care. She would need someone to help her financially, to be able to feed and support her. And so Jesus knows what her need is. Now, Jesus has half-brothers, right? But he chooses not to hand her over into the care of those half-brothers, which it ordinarily would have been. We're going to talk about why that is in just a moment. 
But in the Jewish faith and even in the Christian faith, as we see in 1 Timothy, it is the responsibility of us as children to then care and honor for our parents as they age. 1 Timothy 5, 3 through 8 says that, and you can read that at a different time. But why does Jesus do this? He, he cares for her in this moment in a selfless way. And he has a much bigger view, a different view of family than the society did of that day. And I would even argue as, as we do today. This is not about necessarily just caring for our own family, in my opinion. This is about caring for and being a part of the body of Christ. What I want you to see, though, in this time is Jesus' care for us. In his limitless pain, his words reveal the depth of love for his own. That he loves us and provides for us. Even as he died, they were on his heart. John 13, 1 says this. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that this hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, this is amazing to me. He loved them to the end. So wherever you are in your life right now, Jesus knows where you're at. He knows your set of circumstances. He knows what you need. And the way that Jesus cared for Mary by giving her into the care of John, Jesus is not haphazardly allowing your life to just kind of free flow and just like, eh, they'll be able to figure it out and take care of themselves. No, Jesus loves you and is providing for you what you need. Is that something that, that you feel right now? Or is it something that you need to go to him and like, Lord, I, help me to see this. And we know that Jesus is not too busy for us. His heart is not hardened towards us. His heart hasn't turned inward only towards himself like ours would. Because even in the moment of his greatest crisis and pain, Jesus was thinking of his own. And so as he sits at the right hand of the Father, who do you think Jesus is thinking about now? He's caring for you. He loves you. He's providing for you. But we don't just stop there. The Verse 27 kind of moves forward. He now turns to John. And just imagine, most people that died of crucifixion would die of asphyxiation. He would suffocate to death because blood and other things would fill his lungs to the point that they wouldn't be able to breathe anymore. And so every breath would be difficult, and he would have to lift up to be able to speak these things. So every word counted. And in this moment, he lifts up again to, and says, verse 27, Then he says to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own. We see that Jesus knows our need and provides for his own. But here's what we learn in this verse, that Jesus creates and entrusts his own with his new family and a ministry of love. Jesus entrusts his own. He's creating this new body, this new family, and he's entrusting immediately Mary into the care of this disciple, his beloved, that was already a believer in him. And he entrusts us as his family 
with this, the responsibility of this new family and a ministry of love. So Jesus lifts up and he says, woman, behold your son and son, behold your mother. Basically uniting these two, essentially saying, John, this is your new mother and Mary, this is your new son. Take care of one another. And in so doing, he was thinking about the people that were as near or as dear to him as anyone in the entire world. And he gave them a source of comfort, each other. What does Jesus give us to comfort us? He gives us himself, right? He says, I will be with you to the end of the age. We say that every week. But not only does Jesus give us himself, he gives us each other. Just as John is given to Mary and Mary to John, we are given to one another to encourage one another and push one another on. We are entrusted with a ministry of love. We are bound to the responsibility of one another. That's the beauty of one of the things that baptism represents, that Haley did as she was baptized today. Yes, it represents something of what God has done in her life, but it's also a baptism into a church family that bears the responsibility for considering her faith. As being members of this body, one of the things that Jesus is doing is saying, you behold you. Chris, behold David. And so we're beholden to one another as this new family that Jesus is creating. In creating this new humanity, Jesus is prioritizing something that um, I don't know that we do a great job of prioritizing here in the United States, and that he's prioritizing this new spiritual family of his, this new body. At this point, when he could have made an idol of his own family, Jesus doesn't. In fact, he's connecting this new spiritual family that he was creating. He reminds us of this earlier in his teaching. Look at Matthew 12, verses 46 through 50. This will be on your screen. While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and brother stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward the disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus taught that his spiritual family is of utmost priority to him. Is is that something that we can say about ourselves and one another? Are we bound to one another? Do we feel responsible for one another, each other's faith and encouragement? Evidently, in this moment, Joseph, the uh, Mary's husband, was dead, and so Jesus felt responsible in in making sure that his mother was taken care of. But he again, he didn't entrust them into the care of his half brothers, did he? Why? It's because they weren't yet believers. They wouldn't become believers until after Jesus' resurrection. And so because of that, Jesus entrusts and models for us the importance of the spiritual body of Christ. 
of us being together. The Ephesians 2.19 says this, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, not just to God, but to one another, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. We are part of this household. Romans calls us this body. We're a family. So all who come to him are now a part of this family and this new kingdom that Jesus is building. That's why Paul in Galatians 6, chapter 2 says that we are responsible for bearing one another's burdens. Are we close enough to people in our family, and I mean the spiritual family of God, to actually bear one another's burdens? If not, then we're not fulfilling all that Jesus has for us to do. And yet, here's the encouraging part about all of this. Jesus didn't give this to this responsibility to a guy that had it all together. Because you know who wasn't with Jesus for a really long time once he got captured? John. John skedaddled. He was like, don't mind if I get on out of here. I don't want to be killed like my friend Jesus. This man had just betrayed him. And yet rebuking him, Jesus doesn't call us out. He doesn't call us to the carpet. But he calls us up and gives us this responsibility for one another. He's not calling John out, but instead he's he's raising him up for a ministry. He doesn't say, no, you've messed up. You, You've you failed once. You walked away from me. You're no longer worthy to do anything for me. He knew his heart, and he raises him up to care for his mother. He comforts him. Do you believe that Jesus can use you? Do you believe that Jesus calls you to a ministry? In fact, it may be some of the very things. Notice that John did the very thing that Jesus called him not to do to his mother. John had abandoned Jesus, but he's saying, behold, your mother. I believe you're not going to abandon her again. Paul says this in first or second Corinthians one, three through four, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of mercies and God of all comfort who comforts us in all affliction. Why? So that we may, may be able to comfort those who are any affliction. God may use the very difficulties and things and circumstances that you've gone through to be able then to bless others through. That's the very thing that he does with John. He says, well, you remember this history of abandonment that you have? Well, I'm calling you by my power to remain with her, to take her as your own. What ministry do you believe that Jesus may be calling you to? So what do we do? How do we, how do we kind of bring this all back together as we close? The first thing is this. Jesus is calling us to follow his example in honoring his family. He's calling us to honor his example, or follow his example in honoring his family. He honors his mother here, and, and that is a true statement. To honor someone, though, is a greater deal than just to obey them. Because I can just obey with grit, right? Kids in the room, all of us are children of someone. And so therefore, all of us still are under the command until our parents pass away to honor 
our family and to honor our parents. That doesn't necessarily mean if you're an adult that you have to obey everything your parents do, but you do have to honor them. And honoring, in my opinion, is much more difficult because honoring reflects a heart of love, gratitude, and respect. Now, sometimes honoring means setting a boundary that's healthy for you and for them, but it's not just simply gritting and biting your tongue. Smaller kids in here, God's, God is pleased when you honor and obey your family. Jesus didn't, didn't worship his mother. Guys, don't worship your moms. But he did honor her. And so we are called to follow his example. The second thing is rest in Jesus' care for you. Rest in his care for you. Are you feeling like you've kind of walked away and, from Jesus in some way? Maybe, maybe coming back, you, you're afraid that Jesus will kind of hold you at arm's length. He won't. He didn't hold John at arm's length. He didn't hold Peter at arm's length. He certainly didn't hold Paul at arm's length. He brings us in and cares for us. The third thing is that we're called to prioritize Jesus' family. We're called to prioritize it. And that means we even have to sacrifice other things in order to prioritize this. And in a, in a culture that is all about what I want to do, when I want to do it, that sticks out. Because you're, you bear the responsibility of one another. And the final thing is, is Jesus calls us to step into the ministry that he's called us to. Step into the ministry that Jesus has for you. I'm going to end with this quote. Christ's care for us, and this is going to be on the screen, Christ's care for us may come in the form of responsibility. We would like to think that the more we love God, the less he will ask of us, and the lighter our burdens will become. But that is not necessarily so. If we love Jesus, he will make use of our love. Jesus' care for John came in the form of a burden, but that burden was a blessing. Not all the pressures we bear come because we love. Many are simply due to our own sin and stupidity. Unique responsibilities, however, are placed on those who possess great love for the Lord. Some of our burdens are, in fact, blessings. Is there a responsibility Jesus is calling you up to? And allow us as, as a body to encourage you and help you and lift you into that. Whatever Jesus is calling you to do today, I pray that you will obey him. Let's pray. God, we thank you for all that you're doing in our heart and life. I thank you for this church body who loves one another so well. And I thank you that you know us and care for us and your, your thoughts and affection are towards us. There are people in this room now, Lord, that feel probably beaten down and feel insecure about lots of things their life or their job or whatever feels shaky, relationships feel shaky. And I just pray, Lord, that, that they would know that you see them in their great need and your heart is towards them. Your love is for them. May they feel that and, and run to you and rest in your care. God, for us that, that are kind of just waffling, we're kind of in and out and we don't really desire connection, Lord, help us to be challenged by your call to be connected and to behold one another, to be responsible for one another, to love one another. We can't fully fulfill 
what you desire for us and your family if, if we're not connected. Lord, help us in that. Lord, there, there may be things in here, places that you've brought each of us through that you're desiring to use as a ministry of comfort for someone else. But what that requires, Lord, is us being about and being honest about what we've been through and then giving it and offering it up to you with open hands and arms saying, Lord Jesus, will you use this? I don't know that you can, but as an offering, I'm gonna extend my arms and open my hands up and just say, God, will you use this? Maybe someone you're calling today to step out in faith to share the things that they're going through with people that they know and trust. And I pray, God, that you will use that to begin to minister in great ways. I thank you for the testimony of Haley who shared her story in the places, God, that, that you've worked in her life. And I pray that it touches people in here today. Holy Spirit, come and fill this place, fill our hearts and challenge us and comfort it. Comfort us in your name, I pray.